0: Good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's hard to preach after that song. I, that song just preaches itself. That's like my favorite hymn. I'm so glad, Jeff, that you scheduled that one before I get up here and get to talk about how good Jesus is. That song just sets the way so much. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. may not have gotten a chance to meet all of you, uh, but if not, either way, I'm really glad you're here. It's really good to see you this morning. I know there's a lot of things you could be doing, but the fact that you've chosen to gather here or watch online uh, really does mean a lot to us, so I'm really appreciative of that. Uh, like Scott said, we're continuing in our Advent series today. Um, we've been talking about loving Jesus with all of who we are. Last week, Blake talked about loving Jesus with our minds. This week is a little less glamorous. I'm going to talk about loving Jesus with our ears. Um, but the Advent itself, uh, I hope that's not a bomb. Um, y'all, maybe someone doesn't want me to preach today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're talking about loving with Jesus with our ears today uh, as, we, as we move through Advent. What do we do with our ears? Yeah. Yeah. We listen. What do we usually listen for? That is the right answer, but it's not the one I have. You're overthinking it, Chris, but that's smart. Uh, no, we're listening for words, right? We usually listen for words. We look for other things, but we listen for words. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to talk a bit about today. Um, we're going to talk about the word, at least in scripture and how scripture talks about that. Uh, and scripture has a lot of different connotations when it talks about word or the words or, or, uh, the, the use of that word. Um, it's, the, the scripture itself is often called what? The Word, right? Uh, we're going to talk about that some today. Turn with me, if you will, to John one, 1 and go on and get ready for that. Uh, the Gospels themselves, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, introduce Jesus in different ways. Matthew has a little short introduction to the birth of Jesus um, after all of those begats, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and then it moves into uh, Jesus's birth. Mark just skips it all together and goes on into Jesus's adult ministry. Luke has the most in-depth... Uh, Christmas story, that's when one we usually read from around Christmas time. John is much different. John goes way back, way, way, way back. And so that's where we're going to start today. We're going to look to see what John says about the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word, I'm sorry, let me start that over again. There's too many, I get confused here with all this Word and God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. During Advent, we typically like to focus on Jesus' birth and the little six-pound, eleven ounce baby Jesus. Last week Blake talked us through uh, Blake talked us through like the Old Testament prophecies and what the Old Testament had to say about the coming Messiah. John intros Jesus in a much different way to us. And this statement in John 1.1 is really one of the most profound in scriptures. This use of the word, word, is extremely loaded. It's very loaded. Uh, and, and his use of that term was very intentional in this passage. John was showing that this word that he was speaking about is much different than the word that the Greeks were used to hearing, the, the logos, if you've heard of that before. The Greeks had this idea of the word, and their idea of the word was this... Greek philosophical concept of this impersonal principle who gave order to the universe. So it wasn't really a being. It was this impersonal principle that they called the word that gave order to the universe. And what John was saying is there's a true and better word. He was very intentional in using um, this word. And this word existed with God since eternity passed. What were the first words in the Bible? Do you remember Genesis 1-1? In the beginning. In the beginning was, was God. John echoes those words when he says, in the beginning was the Word. He was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning with God. When God hung the moon and the stars, Jesus was there. When he created everything, the Word was there with him. And then it says, not only was he there, but that all things were made through him. So Jesus wasn't only there in the beginning, but he was active in creation. He was with God creating this universe. We sometimes forget that. You know, as we're walking through Genesis uh, right now before we took a break for Advent, you know, it talks a lot about God. God did this and God did that. And we forget that Jesus was there with God in the beginning, creating these things. When, when God created Adam and Eve and when he took the rib out of Adam to make Eve, Jesus was there and he was active. He wasn't just watching. And when Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus was there with him. When God decided that he was not happy with creation and he flooded the whole earth uh, in the time of Noah, Jesus was there with him. This word was with God. He's always been there. And the word was with God and the word was God. This is foundational language. We just sang holy, 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 blessed Trinity. This is foundational language that John's using that talks about Jesus wasn't just with God. Jesus was God. Jesus was an active member of the Godhead and is an active member of the Godhead. This baby that we sing Christmas carols about is a member of the Trinity, is God, is part of the Godhead. And the word became man And the Word dwelt among us. God, the Word of God, dwelt among us. The Word of God came with a Word from God because the Word was God. I'm not going to ask you to say that a bunch, um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking about that. Like the Christmas carol Do you hear what I hear? That's what we're going to talk about. Emmanuel came with a Word from God. So if you exclude the duplicate quotes in the Gospels of Jesus' sayings, there are 31,426 words attributed to Jesus. That's individual words that he said, not repeating the stories amongst the Gospels, but unique individual things Jesus said. Jesus had a lot to say. What Jesus said to us in Scripture, I think, has a much more powerful meaning when we realize that this is God speaking to us, right? And what Jesus said is of utmost importance. What he said to us is the word from God. Uh, So I need to see where everyone is today, okay? I need to see where you are with these words of God. So we're going to play a little game of trivia. Who said it? Okay, y'all ready? I'm going to say a quote, and you're going to tell me if it was Jesus or not Jesus. Y'all ready? Okay. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus? Good. All right, you got it. Blessed are the peacemakers okay. Be confident. You got it. Here's one. God won't give you more than you can handle. Not Jesus. That's right. That's people on social media. (laughs) Hate the sin, love the sinner. Okay. That's right. That one's kind of attributed to Gandhi, but some people think maybe that's from the Bible. It's not. That was not Jesus. Here's one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. No, that was your mom. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean your actual mother. Here's one. The last will be first and the first last. Yes. Not Reese Bobby. That was Jesus. That's right. Do not be anxious about anything. You guys are doing pretty good. That was a trick question though. That was the apostle Paul. (laughs) Ha ha. Gotcha. He said that in Philippians. But I'll give you like half credit for that. If I was grading your test, I'd give you half credit. At least it was in the Bible. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, Jesus you're doing well. This is my wife's personal favorite. Jesus is the reason for the season. <laughs> Not Jesus. That's right. That was Hobby Lobby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. No, that's probably one of your grandparents misquoting Proverbs. Uh, to your parents because they didn't agree with the way they were disciplining you. (laughs) Yeah. There is a proverb close to that, but that's not it. All right. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. All right. That's Jesus. All right. I feel like you guys are doing okay with that. We've clearly got a little bit of work to do though. So I'm going to go through all 31,000 words. Um, I hope you packed a lunch. We're going to be here for a minute. Is that, that's like the most normal pastor joke, isn't it? Let's joke about how long this sermon's going to be. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's serious. But if we're going to love Jesus with our ears, I think it's really helpful for us to understand how Jesus spoke to us. Jesus's words were words from God. Jesus was constantly quoting scriptures. The first words that uh, are recorded of Jesus saying is actually in Luke 2, right after the, um, the Christmas story. I'm going to read that. Y'all can follow along if you want to. I'm not going to put it on there just because it's pretty long, but I'm going to read through it, starting in verse 41. And this is the boy Jesus in the temple. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast has ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, and listening to them and asking them questions. And all who had heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the sayings that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in his heart. So given the fact that Jesus is sitting in the temple with most likely Jewish priests, you've got to understand a little bit about the priests themselves. Most of the Jewish priests had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament by the time they were 12. At a bare minimum, the first five books of the the Old Testament. They would start when they were around age six. And by the time they were age 12, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. We struggle with like a few verses here and there. Uh, they memorize the entire uh, Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Do you remember how old Jesus was in that story I just read? Pretty interesting, isn't it? I would dare say that Jesus by this time had memorized a lot of Scripture. He was, it talks about him being in the temple talking with the, the uh, Jewish leaders and, and priests, and they were astonished at how much he knew. And then so a- after that, we don't see a lot about Jesus written. Mention from age 12 until his, uh, his adult ministry started when he gets baptized. Most of them pick up at, at his baptism. And so after the temple, we go to his baptism. And from there, the, the gospels show us Jesus in the wilderness. He's led to the wilderness where he's tempted. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. And the devil, you remember what the devil comes to him and says, the first thing he says is, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you just get these stones and turn them into bread? You remember Jesus's response to him. You remember what he says? He says, it is written. Yeah. So the first thing he responds with is a quote from Deuteronomy. Four times the devil tempted Jesus, and each time he responded with, it is written, and then he had something that he quoted from the Old Testament. Jesus was fighting spiritual warfare with Scripture. Satan was present with him. Jesus was responding with Scripture. Jesus quoted the Old Testament 78 times. So in in the New Testament, we have Jesus quoting Old Testament 78 times. He knew Scripture. He memorized it. And he didn't do it just to look smart. He knew these were the very actual words of God. We have a, an amazingly powerful weapon right here. And, and you can get a copy, you know, a, some of those big fancy gas stations have Bibles. I mean, you can get the Bible everywhere. And I think it, it means we kind of take it for granted a little bit. But we have an amazingly powerful weapon. I'm not saying daily devotionals aren't good but you have the, the devotional you need. You have scripture. Don't replace scripture with pithy st- sayings or, or things you read on the internet. The Bible should be in your hand daily. It's so powerful. Jesus knew how powerful scripture was. He was always quoting it. Here's what scripture says about scripture in Second Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's breathed out by God. It is the very word of God. Jesus' words weren't just words from God. They were the words of God. Jesus spoke with the authority of God. John 1.1 says the word was God. Jesus never really comes out and says, hi, I'm Jesus. I'm also God. Like he didn't introduce himself like that to people. But we see the way that the things that he did, the actions he did, the things he said, and the way people reacted to him, it was very clear Uh, that Jesus was claiming to be God. He was doing things and saying things that only God can do. Here's just a few examples. In Mark 2, Jesus forgives sins. And then he says he is the Lord over the Sabbath. Mark 4, he shows his authority over creation by calming the storm. He has command and control over creation. In Mark 14, after Jesus is arrested, and he's before the Sanhedrin, uh, like the, the Jewish court, they ask him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus immediately quotes Uh, Old Testament, he says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He's making a reference to Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah from Psalms 110, when David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And we see the way the Jewish leaders responded when Jesus said this. You, You would always hear about tearing their robes and like being angry. They knew what Jesus was saying. He was claiming to be on equal level with God. He was claiming to be God. And it made them really mad. That's why, that's ultimately why Jesus was crucified and killed because he was claiming to be God. Elsewhere in scripture, we see like in John 10, where Jesus says the father and I are one. There's countless examples through scripture of Jesus doing and saying things that make it clear that he is claiming to be God. One of my favorites is in John 18, uh, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and that the guards come to arrest him and they ask him, they say, are you the son are you the Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am he. He immediately claims I am. That I am language is Old Testament language about uh, God. God would say, I am the great I am. Jesus' response to that was saying, I am he. And do you remember what happened when he said that to the guards? They fell down. It wasn't like they were just mad and tripped and fell over. They literally couldn't stand when Jesus said that to them. Jesus was self-identifying himself as God. And the falling down like that we see is a common... Reaction to divine presence, to divine revelation. If you need more evidence, uh, just read some of the epistles in the New Testament. 2 Peter uh, 1.1 says this, and this is uh, Peter writing this letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just know about God. He was God. He is God. He is the great I am that we read about in the Old Testaments. And he didn't just speak on behalf of God. He spoke as God because he is God. The words he spoke, the words that we have in Scripture, are the actual words of God. Jesus had a lot to say, and we have a lot of words. And can I just be honest for a minute? Uh, Some of it can be pretty confusing. I mean, if you've read your scripture, there's a lot of stuff that, like, man, I'm just, that's, that's a struggle for me to understand this. And then I read this, and this can be a struggle to, to, to reconcile some of these things that Jesus said together. Let me give you an example. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Uh, this will be a familiar, um, this was in the trivia just a minute ago. You guys got it right, by the way. Uh, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that passage. I love that quote from Jesus. But then if we look back at Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is preaching uh, to the crowd, he says this in in Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't seem like an easy and light burden to me. Don't forget that the Pharisees had memorized. He's talking to the Pharisees here, um, or about the Pharisees, and they had memorized, like I said, the first five books of the uh, Bible at minimum. Some, some of them memorized the whole Old Testament scripture that they had. Um, they were pretty good at being good. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be as good as these guys are to even get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light that's a tough one for me. I'm going to be honest with you. It it confuses me a little bit. Um, And then Jesus, these 31,000 words, a lot of those are commands. I want to just read through some of these commands quickly. These are the commands of Christ. Not all of them, but this is some of them that I, I jotted down. He says, repent, follow me, rejoice, let your light shine, honor God's law, do not lust, keep your word, go the second mile, love your enemies, seek God's kingdom, do not judge, do unto others, seek the narrow way, fear not, honor your parents, deny yourself, don't covet, forgive others, honor marriage, be a servant, be hospitable, love the Lord, love your neighbor, pay your taxes, keep my commandments. And just in case you think you were just nailing it and getting it all right, in Matthew five forty eight, he says, you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. <sighs> yeah, let's pray. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not a light burden to me when I read that. that that's, a, that's a heavy yoke. Um, And it it does often help me to realize that much of what Jesus was saying was to an audience of religious leaders. These Pharisees, these professional Hebrews, as I like to call them, uh, the Pharisees thought they were doing really well at keeping the Ten Commandments. And a lot of what Jesus was talking about was just expounding on those Ten Commandments. If you go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount, he'll, he'll go into the, some of these Ten Commandments and really expose the heart problem here. The Pharisees thought, well, I've never done these things, so I've kept all the Ten Commandments. And Jesus, you remember what he, he talks about, like adultery? He's like, you might have thought you've not committed adultery because you've not had an actual affair. But if you have lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery. You may not have, never have murdered someone, but if you have hatred for them, that you've committed murder in your heart. Your sin is much deeper than just your, out, your outward physical actions. And so Jesus' commands weren't really anything newer. They were just elaborations on the Ten Commandments. And then he really sums up the Ten Commandments in the Great Commandment in Matthew 22. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two commandments, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it pretty much sums up all of these commandments into love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But that doesn't really make it any better for me. Does that make it better for Are you really nailing it at loving the Lord with all of your heart and loving your, your neighbor as yourself? How well are you really doing with that? You don't have to answer that. That's not trivia. Don't answer it. But I know how you're doing. I know how I'm doing with it. I mean, I'm, I'm not nailing it. Um, Jesus' commands weren't just hard. They, they were impossible. The commands themselves are good. But the law is good, but it is impossible. It's an impossible task for us. They show us how we should live. They're a, good, they're a good guide for us. They show us how we should live. If everyone followed these things, I feel like the world would be a lot better place to be in, right? But I know we're all pretty terrible at keeping these commandments. But here's the good news. God knew this. God wasn't, so he didn't lay out the Ten Commandments and then we, we didn't get, he was like, what? I really thought y'all were gonna get all those. Now, that, that's why we have to understand why Jesus came to us. Jesus, listen, Jesus didn't come to us to clarify the commandments. That wasn't his primary mission. He did that. It helped expose a lot of things, but that wasn't his reason for coming. He came to fulfill them. Here's what I, here's what I mean by that. Matthew 5, 17 These are the words of Jesus. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. These are the very words of Jesus. In the midst of all of these to-dos, Sermon on the Mount is full of commands of Jesus, but in the middle of that is this little statement that he makes, this this, the imperatives are all through there, but he makes this indicative statement and he gives some relief to where he centers. He's basically saying, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. And all these things I'm telling you to do, I came to do them. But we, we miss that. We see all of these commands of Jesus in there. But in the middle of the, that sermon is the statement of Jesus saying, I got you. I think the commands of Jesus were setting us up for what was to come. Tolan Shabijan, a pastor that I like to read, uh, says it this way. He said, Jesus was building a wall. Through all of these commands, he was building a wall that we're going to come crashing into that would force us to scream out, I can't do it. I crash into this wall and I can't do it. I need someone else to do this for me. And ultimately, um, Jesus's words were were both damning and life-giving. But his life-giving words were backed up by his actions. Through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus spoke spoke a lot of commands. He reiterated a lot of commands of Scripture, and then he met them on our behalf. Don't miss that, church. Don't miss that the good news of the gospel is Jesus doing what he told us we need to do, but he knew we weren't going to do it, so he came to do it for us. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the whole reason we celebrate this baby at Christmas time that was sent to us, Uh, this man that came, God, Emmanuel, God with us, came to be with us, To do the work we couldn't do. And to give us full credit for it. His yoke is easy and light because he took the hard work. And he took the heavy yoke for us. How do you feel like when you have a good idea uh, and someone steals it? Like you're at at work or something and, and you tell your boss some idea that you have. And then your boss runs and tells the higher ups. And they think it's an awesome idea, and then your boss gets all the credit for it, and you're just like, ah But you I mean you can't go to your boss and say thanks for taking credit for that because then you'll just get yourself fired. Uh, or here, here's one that may be a little more relatable. You say something funny, you know, you're at a party or something, you say something funny, and the person next to you is the only one that hears it, and then they repeat it and everybody gives them the laughs and you're like, I said that. It's a terrible example to compare to what Jesus did for us. But Jesus did that for us. <laughs> At minimum, right? We're talking, trying to be relatable here. But that's kind of what Jesus did. He did work for us and willingly gave us credit for what he did for us. What he did on the cross. That's good news. I don't, I don't care who you are. Wherever you are in this walk, uh, that's good news for you. It's good news for us. That Jesus came, he not only gave us credit for what he did, he took the punishment that we deserve. He gave us the credit for his righteousness, took the punishment for our sin, that was, the, that was the reason he came. Good news for you, no matter where you are. Maybe, maybe you've never really been interested in Christianity because it's just seemed like a bunch of to-dos, a bunch of rules. Is that where you're at today? If you're there, if that's where you're at, I've got good news. Jesus kept the rules for you. Yes. That's good news for you. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. God's not asking you to clean yourself up to come to him. He's just saying, trust the, trust the one who is clean. Trust Jesus. He's clean on your behalf. All you have to do is trust him. Repent of trying to be your own God and come to me is what God says. Maybe you're, tri- you're tired of trying to keep up. Maybe you're just kind of limped in here today, just barely making it, and you're just tired and you're just weary, hoping for just some relief. Jesus offers relief to you. He says, just trust me. Trust that I am enough. Trust that I did enough for you. Repent of trying to do it on your own and believe the good news of the gospel. Or maybe you strutted in here with your, your head held high because you thought you were nailing it. I've got uh, news for you. You're not nailing it? Yeah. Yeah. None of us are. Jesus and his work on your behalf is your only hope. It's my only hope. His righteousness is our only hope. Trust the words of good news that Jesus spoke to us in John fourteen six when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the only way to the Father. I am the only way to the Father. Trust the good news of the gospel today. That's, that's my hope for us. I'm going to leave us with this uh, passage from Philippians that uh, just refreshed my soul this week. Paul wrote this in his letter to the church at Philippi. He said, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant,